Do you remember choosing teams for dodgeball or basketball on the playground as a kid? Man, it was always so much fun until, oh, it wasn't. Were you that kid that was overlooked and chosen last? It's such a sinking feeling. I hated it. Your, your heart would pound in those moments. Maybe for you, sports was your thing. But what about the spelling bee? That feeling of being an outsider. Because all of us have unique gifts. And that means there's always going to be an area of life where you feel left out. It's such a terrible feeling. It's a pit in your stomach. It's, it's this, oh, I don't even fully know how to describe it. But just even in this moment, I feel taken back to those moments. Being lined up in front of your peers. It's, this feels good when you're the first one chosen, but it can be a scarring feeling when you are the one who doesn't measure up, when you feel overlooked like an outsider. And I hate that feeling. And I'm sure you do too. And I'm sure each one of us have experienced it somewhere in life. You know, the truth is God loves to choose the people that we overlook. And he often uses them in ways that you and I wouldn't imagine. Last week, Pastor Mike shared a great message about how in every generation, God has preserved a remnant of people. Often, unlikely people, but, but a remnant of faithful people. Not only in this series is God asking each of us to join that remnant, but he's asking us, and, and you may be thinking, not me, but in this series, we are declaring Yes, you. Yes, me. Yes, us. God is choosing us. You see, the story of history is really his story. And so this morning, let's jump right into another story. It's an incredible story. And I want us to really kind of enter into some of the feelings and emotions of this story. Our story opens in Jericho around uh, 1,406 B.C. Now, Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay describes the city this way. He says, Jericho is a stunning oasis in a barren landscape. A thousand feet below sea level, too hot in summer, but pleasant in the winter. It's surrounded by barren wilderness, but Jericho itself possesses abundant water, a city of palm trees. Apparently, it was a bit like a wild western town with a saloon doubling as a lodging house for people passing through uh, Jericho as they traveled north-south along the Jordan Valley and east-west between Canaan and Moab, the same way Ruth and Naomi would travel in just a few more years. Now, we're setting the story up, and it's a mix of 007 and a wild western. We have two spies hiding in, a, in, hiding in a saloon slash house of ill repute. But unlike 007, the spies aren't the main character. In fact, the Bible doesn't even name the spies. They're kind of more a side figure. Then comes the main character. When we first are introduced to her, we aren't even sure if she is a hero or a villain. She doesn't seem to fit the part. She seems out of place in this story today, even more so back then. Well, let's read this story. 
Let's pick up the text in Joshua chapter 2, verses 2 to 22. But before we do, let me set the stage. You see, God has just brought the people of of Israel out of Egypt. And then through the 40 years of wandering in the desert. And now here they are ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua, the leader of Israel, is sending out spies to go into the land, to go look around the land, especially the city of Jericho. And so the spies cross the river and enter the large walled city of Jericho. While in the city, they enter the house of Rahab and they stay there. Let's pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 2. It says this, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hid them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left, and I don't know which way they went. Go after them. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, they closed the city gates. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you the land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of this, our hearts melted in fear And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, the God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brother and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, The oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go out of your house and into the streets, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, 
and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Now, I want us to see a couple of things in this passage. You see, Rahab is our main character here. And when we are first introduced to her, scholars aren't even sure how to translate her title. And so different translations use different titles. Let's go with the more generous title first here. Some scriptures use innkeeper. You see, she is a person of intrigue. She is a wise businesswoman who sheltered those under her care. She knew the news of the town and she knew the, the local news of, of what was happening. She even knew about Israel and what they were doing. She was a woman of means who provided for her family. And most of all, she knew how to negotiate a good deal. You see, she is a wise and a good woman. But the other title that she has given is maybe a little bit different. Most translations, and probably the translation in your Bible, says that she was a prostitute. You see, as soon as the spies entered the land, we already know that the people that they're going to meet are from the wrong tribe and the wrong religion. But on top of all of this, Rahab has so many things going against her. You see, she is unclean because she is a prostitute. Now, we know that she was unmarried or widowed because she had no husband or children named. But nobody chooses prostitution. Most likely, um, this wasn't her fault. There would have been very few options for her to provide for her family. And we can only assume the tragedy that led her to this point in her journey. It's very easy for us to stand in judgment over the poor rather than in awe at what the poor have to endure. This is Rahab's story. But scripture leaves many of the fears and tears and terrors left unsaid. But what we do know is that she would have been stigmatized and marginalized. I love the, the way that Golden Gay describes this. He says, a woman like Rahab will be a marginal figure in society. Part of it, but not really part of it. You know, you know that feeling. Nobody wants to talk to you and acknowledge you until they want something from you. Maybe you've experienced this, feeling alone in a crowd. I was a nobody, and then somebody suddenly wants something from you, and, and then you are the center of all of this unwanted attention. And I have experienced this, and, and it's, a, it's a terrible feeling. But this isn't just a one-off experience. This is Rahab's daily life. And so maybe it, this is why it is easier for her to respond differently to what people are saying about the Israelites. Maybe it's easier for her to respond differently than how her whole city responds. Maybe there is something about being an outsider that makes it easier for her to respond in a more unique way. We don't know all of the reasons, but Rahab responds to the local king and to the spies in a way that should grab our attention. You see, one of the things that's often said about Rahab is that she is a liar. 
Well, at least we know that she lied to the king about the spies. This is an act of treason. This is an act that could cost her her life. But there's something more that's going on here. Because the truth is, she doesn't feel obligated to tell the truth to those in authority when there is nothing truthful about the way that they are behaving. She does clearly lie, but she is she a liar? Because there's an irony in the text here that Scripture wants us to see. Scripture wants us to kind of lean in on our chairs, to pull the text closer, and to see what's going on here. Because Rahab is not a flat, one-dimensional character. She's a human with quirks, just like us. And Scripture is setting us up, is setting up a tension here. It's setting up the tension between her lie and the truth bomb that she is about to drop because she does speak the truth about the future of Jericho. In verse 8, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Wow, that is a truth that she has revealed that not even all of the Israelites believe. But yet here is a foreigner, an outsider, who knows the truth of this situation. What's more, more importantly, she speaks the truth about God. She speaks the truth about Yahweh. In verse 11, she says, For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on earth below. This is a divine revelation. She is rejecting all of the local gods of Jericho, all of the local pagan idols, to align with the God of Israel, Yahweh. This is, this is a key part of this text. She's revealing something about the nature of God that the text wants us to see. He is the God of all gods, the God of heaven above and earth below. And he's not just the God of Israel, but he is the God of all nations. And this is the moment where we realize that this outsider is actually something more. That Rahab is no longer the harlot, but the hero. She is a part of the hero of this story. And that's the third thing I want us to see here this morning. You see, she, sa uh, she saves the male Jewish spies who remain unnamed. But she is named because this is her story. She is seen and she has an identity, and she has a purpose. Rahab saves not only herself, but she saves her family and her nieces and nephews because she is aligning with Yahweh instead of her own people. She is labeled as faithful, not just here, but at other points in Scripture. You see, Rahab is labeled as a person of faith in James chapter 2, verses 25. And she is included in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. For she is putting her faith into action. And it's her willingness to risk her life and so much more to save the spies and to give them special info about how to hide and sneak back across the river. Rahab is not only named here in the story, but she is also included in the lineage of Jesus as the mother of Boaz, who later marries Ruth, making Rahab the great-great-grandmother 
of King David, as recorded in Matthew 1, verse 5. Maybe there was something about having a mother who was an outsider who encouraged Boaz to marry Ruth, who was also an outsider, but also a woman of dedicated faith. You see, God has a way of expanding the circle so that those who are on the outsider are now a part of the family. We learn that anyone who is prepared to recognize what Yahweh is doing, what God is doing, is free to join God's people. This is the kind of God that we serve. A God who is always looking to include more and more people in. Because honestly, it's God's kingdom. And how can anyone be an outsider if God is the one who created them? You see, God has created each one of us, and he is merely welcoming his children home. You see, yet how many times have I felt like an outsider? And I'm sure that some of you, at some point in your life, have felt like an outsider too. And maybe some of you are there this morning. Maybe you're feeling overlooked and undervalued. Maybe you're feeling discarded. Maybe you're feeling worthless. And like Rahab, you have been judged before, before people have even met you. Maybe you've been so beaten down that, that you don't even value yourself anymore. I know sometimes I catch myself beating myself up and saying negative things about myself whenever I make a mistake. Just the other day, I did something wrong, something stupid, and I just muttered, idiot. Unfortunately, Jen caught me and demanded that I say three positive things about myself. It's borderline annoying. That seemed to make it even worse because I didn't feel like saying anything positive about myself. And it can be hard in a moment like that of frustration to rewrite our story. But Jen is right. The words that we say about ourselves matter. As my mom would always say, God don't make no junk. And God made each one of us unique and for a special purpose, even if we haven't found it yet. What's more, God is inviting each one of us to step into community. A community of people, each uniquely gifted, each uniquely flawed, but each uniquely outsiders who are now insiders, a part of God's kingdom. A generous community, a loving community where we each uniquely have something to offer. Where we get to rewrite our story. Where we are no longer the harlot, but the hero. Let me tell you a story about where I just saw this happen a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, in recovery, we were working through a workbook, and we were taking time talking about connecting with our higher power, with God. And, and, and people were writing down the five people who have most helped them in their walk with God. It's a great exercise, and I would recommend any of us to do it. Take time to think about who are the five people who have most influenced your journey with God. And so they were taking time to write down those different people. And then the workbook invited us to ask this question, what do those people have in common? So we took time to reflect. And then people began to call out, 
authentic, loved God, were faithful, dedicated. And then one person said this, they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Man, that just hit me. I wrote that down, it was so true. I, I loved it. That revelation as, as it kind of dawned on him and he wrote it down and he shared it with the group. That is the gospel story. Time and time again. God seeing in us something that we don't see in ourselves. And then other people speaking that out. It's God inviting the outcast and the outsider in. And we come to discover that God is doing for us that which we could never do for ourselves. You see, the truth is, if you're not dead, then it's not over. God is still doing something in your story. God is still doing something in my story. And if I'm not dead, he's not done. It's not over. God sees each and every one of us. When we feel unseen, you are seen because God sees you. God is still up to something in your life. And you may have had some bad choices or made some bad mistakes. You may have a variety of labels placed on your life. Addict, divorced, harlot, whore, loser, stupid, and the list could go on and on and on. All of our flaws, all of our deepest, darkest secrets exposed for the world to see. And these labels may have been hurtful or have even made other people avoid or distance themselves or drift away. And you may be feeling like you are just simply hanging on by a thread. But so was Rahab. Literally, her salvation was a scarlet cord, a thread. And her ability to save her was what, what, and the, the ability of this cord to save her what was God's ability to see and step in even as her city fell all around her. And you too may feel like the world is crumbling all around you and you're barely hanging on by a thread wondering if God will still be faithful to rescue you. You're sitting there this morning going, but I'm alone. I'm broken, I've been labeled, I've been rejected. Everything is falling all around you. Will God hold up to his end of the bargain? God's word reminds us of two simple truths. Matthew 12, verse 20, it says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. I love that. God's promising he will not break that reed. He will not snuff out that smoldering wick. He will not tear that cord. He will hold on to you and to me and to each one of us. The second verse I want us to see is from 2 Timothy 2.13, where it says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 
I love that promise. Because sometimes I let myself down, I let others down, I let God down. But God promises that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And so this morning, everything may be falling all around you, but God wants to remind you through the story of Rahab that it is not over. You aren't discarded. You aren't your labels. You aren't an outsider. You may be hanging on a th by a thread, but that is all you need. This morning, as we close, I want to just challenge you. Go find a simple piece of red cord or a piece of yarn or a thread in your house or if you don't have one, send us a message with your name and your address and we will mail you one. Because we want this truth to be a reminder and then tie it around your wrist, hang it from your uh, mirror in your car, put it on your mirror in the morning, somewhere where you're gonna see it and be reminded to keep holding on to God because God will keep holding on to you. Just as God was faithful to Rahab, God will forever be faithful to you. God has a history of bringing the outsider in. And in this series, if you are doubting that God could use you, this series is saying, yes, you. God wants to use each and every one of us and forever hold us fast with a simple cord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for you for your faithfulness to Rahab. I thank you for your faithfulness to redeem a woman who felt labeled and rejected by so many because in her faithfulness, in her story, you remind us that you are faithfulness to us and our brokenness. In all of the ways that we disregard ourselves, you are faithful to us. And so, Lord God, this morning, we place our lives in your hands. We place our family in your hands. We place our community in your hands and say, Lord, would you come and would you redeem us in the midst of our brokenness as the world seems to be crumbling around us? Lord, would you redeem us this morning and remind us that you are faithful. For you are the God of heaven above and of all earth below. God, come and walk with us this morning. Remind us that you are faithful, that you are true, and that you are calling us home to walk with you. Thank you for your love and for your grace, which is forever true and holds us in your hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you go this week, continue to find that red cord and be reminded of God's faithfulness. And seriously, reach out. We'll send you one. We'd love to be connected and know how we get a chance to bless and walk with you. We love you and we pray that this week is a great week. May you go and walk in the faithfulness of God.